So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. You know, I'm this This is going to be an awesome, awesome podcast. We, we, we got Blake on here, and we're, you know... I've been having these conversations with him and I'm, I'm dying to ask him more about his process, but a lot of us have unused assets, particularly in the stock market, things like that, and how to start pulling money and assets and, and creating cash flow, investing what he's seeing right now. This is so interesting. You guys are all going to love it. Wanted to remind everybody too about our self-storage income podcast, where if you're, you want to learn just about self-storage, uh, that's a huge topic. So we created our uh, separate podcast that's all about that. So you can go over to listen to self-storage income. And today we're going to focus on, as we love to, financial freedom through cash flow and how to create it. With that said, I'm going to bring Blake in and let's just dive into it. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, thanks for coming. Glad to have you. Are you all locked down in quarantine or? We don't know what quarantine is, man. We're essential, right? Yeah, I <laughs> love it. Yep, yep. You're a Texan the for only, sure. It's a, it's <laughs> the only way to think there's wisdom that you can practically walk out, but when it comes down to your investments, you got to. Um, be active. You got to know what you're doing. You got to take action now. Exactly. You don't want to be letting other people make those decisions for you, which is almost always the first step because that, you know, then you're just along for the ride. It's your, uh, you know, you're down, down there, down there in Texas. How, how have you guys reacted? Has business been hurt bad? I mean, I guess you got the oil. Is oil affected the drop in prices? I can't speak for everyone, but you know, for us, it's, it's three-dimensional investments. Yes. You know, you and I have talked about it and three-dimensional investments are, we don't have a crystal ball, but they stand the test of time. So like where those around us in, whether it's the stock market, whether it's in other areas that have been hurt in a, in a big way, all of our investors have been making 8%, a minimum of 8% on their, all their investments. And so uh, it's really that collateral based sub-market that I think is really doing well right now. Can explain. This is where I got questions. Want to drill into? We talk about this three-dimensional investing. We talk about um, these, you know, returns that are given that are looking for. Uh, so, like, obviously, we know there's a spread of risk, things like that. A lot of people are looking for consistency, particularly if you're looking at retirement, or even if you're like, hey, I'm, you know, a lot of people have a goal. I want to pay for my house. I want cash sure. flow to come in, pay for my house. Any of those reasons where you, you want consistent maybe low risk cash flow. So you talk about three-dimensional investing. What is that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's really first, let's talk about what it's not. And so a one-dimensional investment uh, can even be found in the real estate world. Like real, all real estate's not equal, right? So one-dimensional investment would be where it's a tangible or intangible, but it's um, if that one thing is not rented, you don't have any income. Yes. So if it's not rented, you don't have income. That'd be a, a one dimensional. So I would say Got that, it. you know, single family homes yes. would be one dimensional. Yeah. Bob yeah. says, Hey, I'm going to go buy some rental properties. That's the right thing to do. Right. I go buy lots of rental properties, but unfortunately in a situation like our current, you know, unprecedented times, that might not be the best one. I even have some friends, you know, they've got three, four, five, six hundred uh, single family doors. 
but every single family doors you know has HVAC and a roof and they're all separate. And so you end up not making any money for the first 10, 15, 20 years because one when one roof goes out, you know, that took out your whole entire cash flow. So it's a three-dimensional is uh, really, and we'll kind of wrap it back around, but it's the first dimension is it's that tangible. Second dimension is that actual business that produces cash flow and the tangible. And that third dimension, I think we all miss a lot of times, is it being God-directed. No, it's like the wisdom from God versus just our earthly wisdom. And, you know, in my book that's uh, that just got released, um, man, I'm so excited to talk about the little nuances, but the big picture is like the wisdom of God in, in our investments. A lot of times we just kind of like cut ties. And we just give our money over maybe to a money manager and let them just kind of go do their thing. And we forget like, man, we should actually walk in wisdom. We should actually like steward our money in a better way. You're talking about, first of all, looking at, you know, I, I want to touch on, make sure I understand a few of these points. So when you talk about three-dimensional um, investing, it's around tangibility, but it's also multiple streams of income within the one that are, so it's, it's, you're like hedging within that one, one investment. It protects you, gives you more. Um, and then two, you're talking about doing it in a way that is more controllable that you're talking about doing it, which, um, you know, once again, using more like, like, like you mentioned the wisdom of God or being inspired and where instead of just throwing that on the back burner and forgetting that it's even there, that we should actually really start digging into these things and we should, and we should try to figure these out and use the knowledge to understand it better. Correct. Yeah. You're so right, man. And it, 14 years ago, we started our business and. So you've been doing, so you've been investing capital for 14 years now. 14 years. Yeah. Awesome. 14 years, 300 plus transactions. So you went through and the now, downturn. We went through the downturn. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. That's it. That's and actually that, important to understand. You know, you know a lot is. of people need to understand if you did or not. Yeah. Six years versus 14 years. A big difference. There's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I can confidently tell you not one single investor has lost money in 14 years. And what we've done is we've applied this three-dimensional investment and where it actually came from was uh, a long story short, I started realizing that I was doing well, but I wanted to actually help other people do well. And I went back into the Bible and found 3,000 years ago a story about King Solomon. And he was the first trillionaire and the only trillionaire to actually document all his wisdom and actually came from God. So, you know, the story is God actually said, you know, I'll give you one thing. What do you want? And he said he could ask for money, could ask for wealth, could ask for power. And but he asked for wisdom. And so God said, because you'll steward the wisdom, I'll actually give you the wealth. And then the rest of his story is showing how he did these three dimensional investments, which was every investment was with God's wisdom and they were all tangible. So they were all the physical land or the product the tangible. And then that tangible actually had a cash flow agent on it. And so, um, you know, you and I both, we've talked in, and uh, whether you're an investor listening or you're, you know, you've got a high net worth, you're an employee or you're retiring, what we've found is that most people still have an arm or a leg or something still in the stock market, you know, whether yeah. it's a 401 or an yep. IRA. 
And so the reality is right now with, you know, I mean, today we're at 33 plus million in unemployment. We're at 20.3% unemployment. Uh, we've got to start looking at how that affects the big picture and realize that we can ha have everything uh, producing right now. You know, like the money manager might say, well, you lose some, you win some, stay in for the long haul. You know, it'll turn back around. Well, we're in unprecedented. Like what part of unprecedented do we not understand? We've got to actually take action and that action is going to be intangibles. So now, um, before we dive into this, I want to hit your uh, your contributor to a lot of different things. Uh, I saw on Forbes, um, uh, you know, you've been in fourteen years. You you, you got over a hundred million um, under management. You've seen a lot through the recessions, through this recession. What's going on? Um, you know, I want to. We're going to put the tangible assets, three-dimensional investing, just on the back burner real quick, because I, I want to make sure that as we're looking at investing in things, people are, you know, we get obviously a lot of questions. How do you feel about the next few months and what's going to happen with our economy? Because like you said, we're, it, it is unprecedented, right? This has never happened in the history of our country or the world that they shut down an economy. So, uh, you know, in our country, it's unprecedented that something like this has ever happened. 2008 was unprecedented, right? So was, you know, 99, so was 2001, so was, you know, on and on and on, right? And this this tends to be a reoccurring theme. And I, I like the quote, every time a market goes down, it's always different, but they always go up the same way. What do you see in the next few months here for the U.S. economy? What do you what do you look for? I know you speak a lot on this and you, you talk to a lot of people uh, about what's going on in the economy. What do you see in the next few years? Great question. Um, not not say, years, excuse me. Really, the next six months is what really people care about. <laughs> yep. There's a guy named Bucky Fuller who's an economist, and he talks about precession and lag. And so I want to really dive into that with those two words of terminology. So precession would be like when we drop a pebble in the water and it creates the ripples. But the lag would be the, the distance between the ripples. So what everyone's looking at right now is one of two things. They're looking at the drama today or their emotional hope for tomorrow. But neither of those really have any significance because the drama today is just to get advertising you know, dollars yes. online. Mm -hmm. And then the hope for tomorrow is based on complete ignorance. We're just like set it and you know, just put it on the back burner. So what you and I want to do is realize that you know, the stimulus had to happen because it's it's the only thing that would hold the actual economy up. Because the but government the, shut it down, so the government had to prop it up. You got it. But the stimulus, you know, it's still trickling in, and it'll still trickle in over the next eight months. I mean, excuse me, the next eight weeks. Yeah. So, so it's a $3 trillion today proposition by the Dems. Because just to give context – it's funny because I feel like we have to give context to the date and time because every week it changes. So it's sure. the 12th of May that we're re recording this. So sorry, it didn't mean to interrupt. Continue. Sure, you're good. So with that said, the reality is that a procession that we've got to think about is that they're expecting because the money didn't come fast enough or enough of it that you'll expect to see a, a million restaurants 
permanently closed down for good. You're expecting to see 40% of all malls nationwide closed down permanently. You're expecting to see, um, you know, your all your mom and pop businesses, they only had on average 16 days of cash available. And by the time that the lockdown's over, you'll be at 75. They were all living month to month on a paycheck already. So what we've got a, a procession that we've got to look at is Bob and Jane were 65, owned a small business, had to shut down, had to get rid of the people. They're not furloughed. They're gone for now. And then you got to ask, does Bob and Jane reopen? The PPP they're going to get hardly much of, of anything once you look at how much they're spending. So do they reopen? The majority you're going to see, they're going to actually try to reopen. So the next procession we're going to see is four to eight months out. So four to eight months out is when you're really going to start seeing the defaults. Um, in the American society, we when just they don't just can't all... get back. They're trying, yeah, that's it. but they just that's can't it. make it up. They can't, people aren't coming back fast enough. It's the not majority recovery. won't go down now because yes. it's not what we do in America, yep. but so and, they'll all and two, go the, ahead. The stimulus money is coming in to, to a lot of people. There's so a it, hope. It, it, there's, there's a band, right? Right. Yep. Yep. And so, but what we're realizing is, is that the effect that the next procession, that the emotional procession is those who've actually been removed from work, their, their spending habits are forced to change. So for instance, those in the, in the vacation world, I spent my vacation already. Like yeah, my vacations, gone. I've done my vacation yep, time. Yep. Exactly. I've been vacation, sitting at home. I'm ready to go yeah. to work. I don't need to go out and go party. And, and the boss then says, uh, you, you don't got any vacation. Like your vacation's over. Like, yeah. It's unprecedented. I can't pay you for vacation anymore. Yeah. So what we're seeing is is all the travel time that money's spent, that's done for 2020. Then you start seeing um, all those who are in um, discretionary items. Unless that discretionary item can speak louder than bills we already have, it's done for right now. And so the the processions, the ripples are you're going to see in four to eight months, a lot of those larger defaults. Now your JC Penney's, your Macy's and all that kind of stuff, that, those are long gone already. That was just kind of the- Accelerated know, the, the, the death. Yeah. yeah. Or add a story on so that you, know, you have an extra little hopeful something to come out. But those are already gone. We're talking about brand new, fresh stuff. We're talking about those who, I'm, the reality is you'll have massive shutdowns in that four to eight months. And so then what you're looking at is the the bottom line kind of where I want to take this time is what does that happen to the stock market? Because you and I know, as we've chatted, like when the stock market actually began, it was actually good. Like if you were going to go buy a stock, you're actually owning a piece of the business. You owned a share. You actually owned interest. You own real tangible business. Then if it had cash flow or dividend, you actually got it because the business produced it. Now, the stock market's completely separate from the actual businesses and actually 50% of the, the companies don't even pay dividends. So the ones that do pay dividends, it's not actually coming from the company. It's coming from the centrifuge of people buying and selling the stock. So for instance, even Google, 
Google doesn't even have dividends. So everyone is so like mixing matchy of what's actually going on. Well, what you're going to see is the ripples, the processions in the market. Now, the, the government is looking to now skip the Fed and go from treasury to, to like just infusion. And they're looking to do another 10 trillion over the next 12 months just to puff everything up. And so, you know, my, my, my listeners who are still got an arm or a leg or, you know, a 401, you know, in the market, you've got to call a timeout and you've got to say, I don't care if I think they're going to keep it alive and they're not going to let it crash. Do I believe that I'm being a good steward of my money if they're having to pump it up just to keep it alive? So they'll, they'll bail some companies out and they won't bail other companies out. And it just depends if you had an index fund or a mutual fund. It just depends which one you had something in. But the reality is, is now's the time. Like now's the time to call a timeout and realize you don't want anything that you're stewarding to be tied to money that has to be pumped in to keep what you're in alive. You want to actually be in the tangibles. You want to be in tangible real estate that's not tied to potentially massive amounts of individual, for instance, like apartments. Now is not the time to get into apartments, but it, now is the time to get intangibles that have cash flow right now that you can set it and forget it. And so that's where this three-dimensional investing comes in. So what are these assets? Like, what are these investments? Are they individual companies? Are they, what, what, you know, what are they? Yeah, so we still do diversification in a fund, and inside that fund, it may be storage. It may be, um, here's one that people, uh, that no one's in that we're really uh, claiming the name on is wedding venues. It's crazy. Wedding venues are one that no one thinks about, but it's a mom and pop industry. Uh, they're, they're on a, a hundred year record high of how much they're actually spending. It's all done by dad and um, even during the actual lockdown, believe it or not, we're selling bookings, $15,000 wedding venue bookings on virtual tours. And so everyone's booking out future. And um, I mean, in, in a market of a group of people who are mom and pop businesses, we buy these up and then we change the optics and the metrics and create massive traffic, world-class customer service as zeros to their bottom line. So are you acting and like it, a venture capital fund where you're taking the money and you're going directly to the business, you're buying them from the owners, the owners are removed, and then you take over the operations? Correct. We own okay. it, we run it, we rebrand it, we, we have the whole entire thing. So what we do is we allow these investors who are coming out of the market, who are in what we'd call the the public market, you got to be in the private market and intangibles and real estate. So we allow them to come in into a fund that pays an 8% fixed rate return, set it and forget it. And it literally, it will never go up, but it'll never go down. It just set, it, it just pays out like clockwork. And, and, you know, a lot of our investors are like, uh, I don't want to be in that forever. Cause I'm, I love real estate and I want to go do something bigger in real estate. That's great. But if you got 401 or IRA that's sitting in the market on the roller coaster, hey, pull it out for 24 months before you even know what else you want to do. 
just go have it in a vault, go have it in a hedge protection and go make money on your money now. So we talk about the creation of a fund, your average fund. Do you have, is it just one or do you have, is there multiple? And then what assets, how do you choose the assets? Like what are the qualifications to, for you to go out and buy those assets? The requirements or what we're actually looking at, what, what fits this mold? Uh, I'll answer in two parts. One is we have 13 different economic indicators on a proprietary system that they have to be doing the same thing, which is hard to make happen, which would mean that's a strong, the, 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 economic, the economic index is strong, the unemployment's strong, the ability to sustain in a bad market strong. It's like um, when all the numbers come in, it's like a guy who wants to build muscle but lose fat at the same time. And so when the market's doing that in the niche that we're actually investing into, then, then we know that area is actually good. And then the second thing is it has to pass that three-dimensional test. And so it gets a little bit complicated then because uh, the, all the indicators could say green light, green light, green light, looks amazing, this is perfect. But I run everything literally by God. Like he might tell me, um, that's not a good, don't. <laughs> so I, I don't have any peace on that venture, that investment. And then come to find out later, stuff pops out later of why it wasn't good, but the economic indicators were there. Or vice versa, the economic indicators may be like, ah, it's, it's the, it by itself isn't producing. And I feel this massive peace from the Lord to say, hey, no, move forward in this one. And then we do, and we find out later, we pull some levers, push some buttons, and add a zero, and the revenue blows up. Or we are able to shrink the expenses in a, in a powerful way. So those, so with this, with those this, things. Finish, finish your thought there, sorry. Yeah, so the idea is, is like, man, I quit leaning on my own understanding because in a market like this, everyone gets so anxious and emotional and they get either really rigid or super numb. And the reality is, is like, then now's the time where you've got to realize it's not even your money. Like you're just managing money that he created anyway. So now we just want to put the money to use in a proper way that'll continue to produce money for years on end. And so if... Let me ask you this, this hundred plus million dollars, go through some of the businesses that you've acquired and tell us why you acquired them. Okay. So we'll start with, again, I'll start with what we aren't doing right now. Yes, we have, perfect. We, we have sold all apartments prior to COVID. Okay. And so you were apart in apartments, but you sold them off. Right. Uh, apartments are great. Um, they've got more doors, so they're not, they're not one dimensional. You've got, you know, so it's, you've got a lot of opportunity to actually raise rents and to increase your multiple, you know, as an actual asset, assisted living, if it's actually done correctly. Uh, we find a lot of times that um, people are buying too small and, you know, but, but if you buy right, ours is, you know, you, you gotta, you know, with the mindset, I don't have any at the moment, but it's, you gotta have at least 26 beds or more. Um, storage storage is one of those you know one thing i love about you aj is that you're you're in a niche that is always going to do well you know if if you if someone just did that uh, on a down market you may have a lag for a minute but you have a massive in, inflow because the people are downsizing so storage is always good 
um, when the market comes back and you got this this influx of dollars in everybody's pocket, they you know they may have a little lag, but they buy everything now. They got to go store it, so storage is always good. Um, wedding venues, wedding venues is one for us that we've just said, man, we're gonna put our flag down here, and you know our our goal is for the wedding. Your, venue. How much of your holdings are wedding ve- venues? At the moment, uh, about twenty five percent. Okay, and then what's is that? What's your biggest holding? Uh, right now is wedding is venues. Wedding. What, yeah. So, and then the rest is uh, miscellaneous, like storage. Yeah, I or... mean, another another good one is corporate housing. So we do corporate housing, and it's fully furnished, all bills paid. Um, it's the beautiful thing is it's different than actual hotels. So the hotel market right now obviously is no bueno, but ours is long term leases. So think um, think long term lease, fully furnished, all bills paid. And then we we have multiple different traffic sources. So um, when oil's good, we've got the oil clients. When 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 it's not good, we've got construction clients. So we bring in construction clients who we go into how they actually function, how they work on their per diems, and how their monthly amounts of what they actually are giving the guy or or their HR team. They want everyone to live in a certain space and they want everything, you know, they want the curfews and all that kind of stuff to be done. And so we're making uh, typically about four times what you could make in single family um, in a place on a long term lease. So, you know, margins are 60%. I mean, it's just sick. So it's things like that. And what now? What about uh, geographic area? Are you just in Texas, or are you all over? Yeah, I would answer that from two different directions. We're in Texas. We've had stuff all the nation, but I, the the key is is that you've got to actually let's just say Bob. Bob is listening. Bob's wanting to go do this himself. Um, you've got to know your economic indicators because there's certain areas that. Literally, one street divides a B class and a C class, and it does not say it on the street sign. Yes, yes. And so, uh, the reality is, is, um, is the number one thing you can do right now if you got money in the market, and you're like, man, I want to do something. You're right. First rule is you've got to cut ties with what you thought you lost. One of the biggest things we get from all of our our clients that that we're uh, either it's a sit in the office or it's a zoom is like, but I lost the money. So I need to double down. I probably need to go put more in and go see if I can make it like roll the dice and try to make it back. The reality is you would never do that at the casino. If you were wise, yeah. you might've had yeah, to yeah, drink. Yeah, you if you were wise. <laughs> because you would say, you know what? It was fun. It's a non-tangible. It was for entertainment purposes only. That's the reason I was there I'll go cash my chips in and keep what I got. And so if you had money in the market, it's not real. It's not even tangible. So it's not even real until you make it real. So until someone else buys it, it's, it's net worthless. Like you don't have a net worth if it's in the market. So for those, I'd say what, what went up and what went down and what went back up and what came out, you didn't even have it. You only have what you take back out anyway. And if it's fully propped up on straight up stimulus I mean, that's the only thing keeping it alive now is a good time to realize you have what you have now go put that to work because you know here's a good example aj is we have 
in one of our funds that you can do a 8% fixed compounded. And so let's just say you took out 30 years. You're saying, you know what? Set it and forget it. A hundred grand, 8% compounded is eight, excuse me, is $1 million. So $100,000 is all you, your principal was. And you made 8% compounded every single year for 30 years. That's a million bucks. And so if the average person who had a hundred grand, if you just did that. So the, the question is, I did a poll. I took a thousand people and I said, who has made 8% or more in the market over 30, over this 30 year period? Do you know how many had? 37 people. And half of those were actually day traders managing their own money. Well, that doesn't count. You just got a high paying job. So 17 or 18 of them, 17 or 18 people out of a thousand had actually made that kind of money. So the question is, why do they go to the stock market? Well, one of two reasons. One is because they didn't have any money in the beginning and it was just dripping out of their 401k. And that's just where, you know, their company said, this is where, this is what you do with it. Or it's the actual um, adrenaline rush. And you're just looking for the casino game. You're just looking for a little fun. You're just hoping you can, hoping to spin it. And so now my, my whole passion right now is helping people realize that was fun. We played the casino. We did our thing. It's, it's revealing itself as a casino now. Hey, call a timeout, cut the emotions, pull those funds out, put them in an 8% per per fixed fund, whether you want to do it for one year or 30 years. But go ahead and do that now. Say what you got, put it in a vault, and actually go produce real cash flow. So, and I, I completely uh, understand and, and like this idea of the three, three-dimensional investing. It's, um, you know, it, it's it's very much foundational principles that we've used when dealing with risk. Everything. That's why I own non-correlated economic revenue drivers. Simple way of saying saying. The, the revenue that's pr produced out of that asset class can't be correlated or I don't want it to be correlated with the other segment of my holding. So real estate cycle, right? So if, if something happens in the storage industry world, right? Well, I have a health benefits consulting firm with brokers that go out and we get paid on principle from insurance companies, um, online businesses to our other, you know, things that we're doing that, that are just, they're non-correlated, right? And they have to have multiple streams of income. You can't be living on one account or one door or anything else like that. So you have to diversify um, internally in that source amongst doors or whatever that is, right? Clients, right. whatever it is. You got it. But then outside too, you have to diversify amongst uh, um, different economic drivers. Like you say, you know, there's nothing like it, whether you're in apartments or wedding venues, those those two things are not correlated, right? And I think that's a big problem people have is they go, oh, I'm diversified in the stock market. And you're like, what are you talking about? You're in the stock market. If the right. stock market crashes, the diversification, market. You're like what, that may stop. That's just a guessing game, but it's all going Great. down. It's, it's all going point. down. And so the risk is still centralized 
I, I don't understand. That argument never made sense. Um, I have money in the stock market, but I only have individual companies that I will buy when they're severely distressed that I get dividend producing. And I don't diversify. I buy good companies. Um, but I, it's a small percentage, right? Um, but I do do it. Every five years, I'll buy a buy a company that's severely distressed, but that's totally different. I'm not writing index. I'm not writing anything else like that. I don't like that. I don't believe in it. Um, and what you're talking about is really important for people to understand from the standpoint that you're talking about two totally different types of way of viewing wealth. One is other people need to take care of it and that it's a hope game, right? And the other way is take control, understand the drivers of it and start producing tangibles in the form of cash flow. It's another thing. If I'm not going to buy a business, I'm not going to start. It needs to cash flow because I need to start getting paid day one. It needs to reduce risk. And two, the biggest thing on cash flow is cash flow shows performance over a given period of time that I can't analyze if it doesn't if, if it doesn't have. So all right. those things make for a good, healthy spread, right? In your fund, all these things do. What I'm interested in is when you sell things, why do you sell? So you buy things based upon your formula, right? I get that. You have your investing criteria, which, um, you know, I depending on what property your business, I, same thing. I have criterias. There's no goes for me. There's goes. What about selling? When do you sell and why do you sell? Yeah, two reasons why we would sell. And I guess one would be specifically tied to one specific industry, which would be apartments, Apartments you got every 15 years, you're going to have to renovate. And so you've got a budget, you know, one, can I renovate with our current cash flow? And then two, in that, if there's an emerging market, you know, there's always an S curve in the apartment world and you've got massive corrections. And then you, so the whole goal, you know, to be cliche is to buy low, sell high. That's not really for every business, but for that world, that's how that game works. I mean, I've had apartments that, it didn't cash flow and we sold it at the top of the market in at a, um, you know, like an 8x multiple of if it, if it was cash flow. So we sold on future cash flow Jeez. and, you know, that's awesome put, for you. It's putting out sick money, but you don't want to be the guy buying on the other side of that. So those are, the, those are the times that we'd sell on that industry. The only other reason we'd sell. So you sell is, when markets are unreasonable. And they're asking for prices that no longer make sense. You're like, it's time to take the chips off the table because things have gotten wacky. Sure. And then in the business, so when it's the first dimension is the land, the tangible, the improvements, and then it's the actual business inside of it. Now, this could be a online, like you mentioned, online product business or, or let's just call it wedding venues. Let's just say we've got 40 wedding venues. Well, once we get over 10, it sells at a multiple. And the more we have, the larger the multiple. And so, uh, because it's ran like a yeah. actual You're getting empire. a portfolio effect. Yeah. Yep. And, and that portfolio, the you got, um, you've got massive economy. Um, of scale, yeah. Of scale. You've got massive efficiency on your marketing. And so, I mean, you could be a, a 10X, 11X, 12X, depending. And so, that right there that, we may have been in it 60, 70, 80 million. It might be selling for a quarter of a, you know, a billion. And so hey, that would be the time that you're, you're seeing, can it sell for more than this? Is, it, is there any way it can be worth more than that? Is the cash flow, and this is a, a big principle that everyone misses. Everyone gets so high on the adrenaline effect of the sell 
But what we have to say is, okay, once we have our high and our low, our expenses and our, what we're selling for, whatever X you know, multiple it is, the, the difference, okay, so we take out what are all of our ninja tactics of taxes that we're going to like, you know, kill some of that, whether it's 1031 or whatever it is. But then at the end of the day, it's got to be simply the money that I have, where can I put that and still make what I was previously making on cash flow? And most people, based on how they do it, you can't. You can't actually go make that same cash flow. And so the process that people have got to realize is, is like, you've got to always create something to sell it, but it doesn't always mean you would sell it. But if you create it to sell it, now you've got your systems, your automation, your SOPs, your, your function of hierarchy. And the whole goal is to always remove yourself from that. So then it actually is a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Now, I, I, I love this. This is an interesting topic we haven't talked a lot about on the podcast, but this was something that I did, and I called it income arbitrage because there was a, an inefficiency in the Great Recession that cash-flowing businesses were priced at multiples that were beyond reasonable because their cash flow, they were flush with cash, and they didn't have any hard where you had um, then hard assets, even if they were cash flowing, were traded at 50 cents on the dollar. 50 cents you know, of replacement cost. Oh, wow. That yeah. didn't make sense anymore. And so all of a sudden, I'm sitting here going, we had these other businesses. And I'm like, wait, I can sell this one for 20 years worth of net profit. Then I could turn around and buy 20 of these. And Literally, my income yeah. didn't change. And I transferred a risky asset asset into a safe, safer asset. It was it was something that we looked at. It were like, this is just once in a lifetime. And it, it's probably not, but for us in our stage, it was. That sure. I could transfer out of high risk into a low risk and remain equal on the cash Love flow. That. That's economically not even supposed to happen. Like right. economics say that can't happen. The only reason we got it taken advantage was because the screw up of the markets, the debt cycles, what had happened in the capital markets, access to capital. It was, you know, kind of a perfect situation, but it's something that people, you, you got to think about. Like if you're owning real estate and your goal is to liquidate them, to live on the cash, or, well, are you going to pay taxes? Because you don't understand after all said and done, you may not be with nearly as much money as you had. So you probably should have either kept it. So that arbitrage, and this is the beautiful thing about having funds, right? It's, it's essentially what we do. We manage our own capital. I can transist capital into high risk, into real estate, and we use everything through depreciation, all this other tax stuff to make sure that we're not getting hit with taxes. We're going to take a big hit. We're not taking it because it's killing your future returns, which that's what you're talking about. So, right. so if you have something that's producing X return, you sell it and you go buy something that's producing a lower return than what you just bought. You just shot yourself in the foot. Completely. And you're trying yep, to completely. maximize that. So you get a compounding effect on the sale. So you, you, go, got it. you sell it, you capitalize, you get the higher, you run it. And then if you can sell it and do the same again, you do it. If not, you don't. So it's moving upward coming. It, right? That's kind of where you're looking at. You got it. Side. You got it. And and the thing is, is that there's a certain listeners who are like, man, that's the world I currently live in. Or you got certain listeners saying like, that's the world I want to live in. And you got certain listeners who are saying, uh, man, I just want to actually, you know, set my future up. And we find some of them are, are the same world. So, we, I mean, I've got a, one of our um, investors, he's, he owns two different $300 million companies. 
and he invests for eight for just plain vanilla eight percent fixed fund. He's like, hey, I, I I personally have to abide by the same rules of diversification, and I want those funds, you know, just to be, and, and you know, you put that department of where those funds are going to go, that interest, you know, that goes into your X Y Z bank account, or then you know, you can use that for a certain thing, but. Um, no, you're you're right. If you look at Bill Gates, any of those guys, most of all of their wealth didn't come from their original companies. It came through their diversification through assets. I mean, uh, Bill Gates, it, it's something astronomical. Like only 10% of his wealth actually came from Microsoft. Great point. And they, they diversify, you know, and I don't care. It, it's, you know, it's not necessarily that there's some investments that are just wrong. But when you're looking at how you go, I fixed income. Um, and how you're deriving from it is really important to understand where those assets are being derived from. Hence all the questions and what we're talking about here. Because you're right, fixed income, look over the fluctuations, how it's performed in um, different economic cycles. Uh, lots of times they're centralized. The risk is centralized. It's not diversified from economic drivers. It may be diversified within its own asset class, but that means nothing. And uh, so then all of a sudden you're fixed uh, your your fixed preferred return or whatever it is disappears in the first down cycle. And you're going, right. well, then why didn't I take something with high risk that I could have gotten a return because that went away go. anyways. Right, exactly. So you're, I, I like what you're doing here. And I, and I, I really like this, this idea, this overall scope um, and how you're managing. All those things make perfect sense. Now, what I'm really interested in, you got over $100 million that you're managing. You've been through two of definitely the weirdest recessions we've ever been in. And one is hands down the most severe economic downturn we've ever had outside the Great Depression. And the only reason the Great Depression was worse was because the government took it longer to devalue our currency on and on and on. But theoretically, a lot of people say it was a depression. In fact, a lot of people said that the depression went on for 10 years because we were living off the government, QE. You, during this time, from what I'm reading, I want to make sure this is true. It's telling me that not one person didn't receive their 8% preferred return. Or their Correct. 8%, wait, what, you don't call it a preferred return. You call it a... Correct. It's a fixed straight return, yeah. You're, you're fixed. So your fixed return, no one. And right now, you still are giving out 8% fixed returns. Correct, yeah. Not a lot of people can say that, so... I commend you on that. That is really cool. Can I ask you, when you were thinking of starting this up or when you, your partners, whoever, you know, those guiding principles that you had, I, I'll totally admit most of my principles came after the Great Recession. So I, I saw how my businesses and assets were performing. And mm -hmm. because I saw what was working and what wasn't, I developed a philosophy, things like that. But you were obviously doing this before the recession. So tell me where it came from. Yeah, candidly, I'll tell you that um, a lot of it was on accident, but I went back and the one thing that I didn't have, though I was still, I would, I would have called myself a Christian, I would have called myself, you know, I had a good heart for people, I was arrogant and prideful and all these things and money was becoming an idol and literally God set me down and like, it was this come to Jesus moment where he literally said me, I've made you really good at creating wealth, but it's actually my wealth, not your wealth. And he literally put me through this turmoil um, in my soul where I had to just come to realize that like I wasn't in control. So I literally went back to my roots, went back to the Bible. And that's where the King Solomon story came from. And 
I started realizing I was doing the three-dimensional investments just outside of the first dimension, which is directed by God. So then my own emotions were buying too much into it. And yes, um, it was wrapped thanks. around you, not. Yeah. Yeah. It was yep. wrapped around me versus actually um, em- employing freedom and employing legacy and other people. And even my own income now, you know, it's like I'm more free now financially than ever. But at the same time, I literally am just managing his money. And so where he has it is like, if you can become a really good manager of his money, he's willing to give you a lot more because you're able to be a good steward with it. And so that's really uh, where it came from. Those are important principles. Those are really important principles that you mentioned here. And I don't want to let it go. Um, If you have ever read the book, Ego is the Enemy, um, it's one of my favorites. And um, it's a lot of things because like you, um, a lot of us have come to Jesus moments where we realize the world doesn't evolve around us, that we're hard-headed. And most of the time it takes things that are not fun for us to understand that, you know, hey, listen, God has other children. And it's, you know, and it, it does become, you know, this realization, but that realization is freeing from the standpoint where you don't worry nearly as much about how you look, what you do. You worry a lot more about providing value to others. And when you take yourself out of the equation and provide value to others, that's where I believe true success comes from. And it's, you know, I love that you include that in your story because, too, that's personal. You got to tell everybody, listen, I was a hard knothead, right? But it's, it's true. true. And it's cool. It's that true. You, it's, yeah. and, it, and, two, it shows, and, and it shows strength that you can get over that, realize, put yourself out. And it's one of the things that I think, most people fail because it's too centered around them, not others. I'm lucky. I, you know, my, my business is a family business. Me and my dad are partners. Right. Um, and so that was always thing. It was always about like, Hey, I got to always, what's best for my dad, what's best for kids, things like that. Um, and we didn't have investors in, we're actually now starting to take investors, but we never had investors in, but we were, it was already that my partners, right. My, my brother-in-law, um, they always sit down. We're always all equal. We're making decisions for the best of everyone. It was never because, so I was in it just because that was how it was set up. Um, but that's unique for someone that's money managing money to take that approach. I like that. Sure. A lot. Yeah. I like that a lot. So yeah, I, I got it. The, the, the book you wrote, you've said so many good things here, but I if you want to learn more about this, the, the, the book you wrote, which you're very generous, I appreciate. You said we could give it out for free. We'll put the link into the podcast so everybody can go download it, understand more of your investing style philosophy, basically just centered around three-dimensional right investing, which you've talked about a lot here. We appreciate you coming on, sharing uh, you know, time and, and experience. You, you've had a lot. You've seen a lot through the different recessions and investing cycles. So thanks for sharing us what you're doing. But how can people get a hold of you outside, obviously, finding the book? But where can we send people to get a hold of you? Yeah, the best thing that you can do is, and um, again, it's my privilege to give you the book. It's uh, it's the joy to give you the book. I've got um, opportunities that you can actually um, spend more time with me if that actually, once you get into the book, if that actually makes sense. Um, but what I want you to do is I want you to pull out your cell phone and text the word Solomon to the phone number 31996. So text Solomon 
to 31996. And then I will shoot you the link to actually get the book for free. And I've got so many other things I want to give you guys, um, video training, application, how do you actually get in and what do you do? And, and depending on what zone you're in, what, uh, what position financially you're in and where you want to go. And I'm so excited to help you guys. That is my joy to actually continue to just produce the idea that you've, you've been created for a bigger purpose than yourself. And unfortunately, we've got to actually buy into that. Then we've got to create wealth and then go deploy that wealth in liberation. And I want to help you do all that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, I appreciate your time on here. Appreciate everything you've done. We'll send people your way. We'll give out the book. Very generous of you. And I hope that um, you are having a healthy, safe time down there in Texas. And I hope it's not too humid and hot for you quite yet. That's right, man. Hey, AJ, it's always a pleasure, my friend. We'll have to do it again soon. I'd love that. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Blessings on you, buddy. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.